If you've got your Bibles, would you just turn with me uh, to Luke uh, chapter 11? So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. It should just come up on the screen in front of you as well. Let me just correct my stand. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, and I'm reading from the ESV. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Or that could be translated, glorify your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, or that could be translated, guard us from trials. Should we just pray? <laughs> Father, we, we want to thank you now for, for all that you are to us. Lord, we thank you that, that we've been taught to pray to you, Father. But that is who you've revealed yourself to be to us. Lord, you've not revealed yourself as some distant figure to be approached um, by rite or ritual. But Lord, you are Father who draws uh, us close to you. So Lord, I just pray, would you be awakening in us this morning just a, a hunger to know you more? Just a hunger to, to just want to see you more, to see you glorified, to see you magnified in our lives. Lord, as we consider what it means to pray, Father, would you be uh, showing us who you are again, revealing yourself to us again as Father. Lord, we, we, we want to rest on the promises that you've given us as we, as we pray and as we look at what it means to pray. Would you help us in all of this? Amen. Just as we were worshipping, I, I really felt a, as a challenge here of, are you hungry? As we, as we looking at these, this series of spiritual disciplines, that's, that's really what we're drawing on is a hunger. Dan, last week, he, he opened up our new series, Habits of Grace, um, as we begin to look at what it's going to look like for us as a church to draw into God and to dig into Him and get to know Him more and to just to want more of Him. And as we pursue Him in these spiritual disciplines or habits of grace, prayer, fasting, reading our Bible, gathering together as the church, you know, we, we, that's the, that hunger being expressed and so I kind of really feel this, this kind of challenge, are you hungry? Because some of you may well be feeling it. As, you know, as we begin to talk about these things, as we talk about who God is, you might have even been feeling it in the worship as we, as we exalt his name again. You might be feeling, oh, I want to know that guy more. I want to know him more. I want to know him better. And that hunger of yours, you need to recognize, is God-given. It's not something you've produced in yourself. It is a God-awakened thing. And it might be, 
as we approach these things, as we approach prayer, particularly this morning, as we've been worshiping this morning, you've, you've really felt, you know, as you examine your heart honestly, no, I'm, I'm actually not hungry. I'm not hungry. There isn't a desire there for anything more. I come to church, and it just feels like I'm going through the motions. You know, maybe you even pray. You worship, but you're just going through the motions. So I, I would just... <laughs> My prayer for you is that you would have your heart open to recognizing just how needy you are this morning and as we go through this series. Just how needy you are and how good God is at providing, at meeting our hunger. That passage comes to mind that, that as the deer pants for the water, so my heart longs for you. And, and Paul's desire of, oh, that I just would know him more. Oh, that I would know him more. I lay down everything just to know him. That is the Christian life. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. It's that, that hunger active at work in us. And so that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about spiritual disciplines. You know, we want to see ourselves get to know God better, get to know Jesus better. This isn't a running on a treadmill. Not that sort of discipline. It's not exercising. It is active engagement in a relationship that is on offer. It's, it's engaging with a hunger that we have. And So for some of you, I, you just need to be praying in your heart right now, Lord, would you open my eyes to my need and your sufficiency, your ability to meet my need. I, I really believe there's people here who need to be praying that prayer. Even before we get going, Lord, would you open up my heart to see what I need from you? I tell you, God is faithful to respond to those prayers. He's faithful. That really is the heart of this series. You know, it's to encourage and exhort us as a church uh, to press into God and to act on these disciplines, these habits of grace, as they are key, both in our personal growth, as we are transformed to be more and more like Jesus, as we opened up last week, and as we as a church begin to reach our city, our region, and the regions beyond us. That's how it works. You know, as our faith increases, as grace increases amongst us, so too will the work of Jubilee. You know, as we're looking to North Hull, the hope isn't that we, have, we manage to stir up enough resources, enough people to give their time and their money. Our hope is that God, who meets us in power and in grace here on a Sunday morning, will cause us to have such an overflow of that power and that grace that North Hull is reached and the church is planted. That's the, that's the objective. And that is in God's court and it's in our heart to just receive from God in that way. That's how this works. So just on that then, key to all of this is understanding what we mean by spiritual disciplines. Or habits of grace, you know, that... In many ways, you know, when you hear that phrase, as Dan said last week, it can seem a little bit archaic, old-fashioned, a bit stern and severe, boring, dusty old phrase, spiritual disciplines. You're kind of thinking of 
monks in monasteries and dusty old books. But really, that, that word spiritual just means of the Spirit. That's literally what it means. It is from the Spirit. And so, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about something that is God-initiated, that is born in the power of the Holy Spirit, that is driven by the Holy Spirit, that is energized by the Holy Spirit, that is not something that we've initiated, but is a God-initiated thing. You know, Paul, he's writing to the Galatians, he wants them to get this. He's like, he's saying, guys, this church in a place called Galatia, he's saying, you were born by the Spirit. You, you were brought into life by the Holy Spirit. That's why you're a Christian, not because you've ticked a few boxes on what you believe. You were brought into new life, as we've heard. You know, that new wineskin, that new heart. That is what God has done to you. If you're a Christian, that's what's happened. And so, what, what spiritual disciplines are then is not a, a kind of a, all right, you've, you've come into new life. Now, these are the things that you need to do to be a good Christian. No, this is what the new life looks like. This is what the God-empowered life that you've been given looks like. Leaning on the Spirit. All Christian living is meant to be supernatural. All Christian living. So you have been brought into new life by the power of God's Word, by the power of His Spirit. The faith that you showed on that day when you made that decision, yes, might have been in an alpha, might have been on a Sunday morning, yes, I believe Jesus, I'm going to follow Him, I'm going to give my life to Him. That decision you made then, born out of faith, born out of the power of God, that same faith, that same power is at work in you in all of your living. If you're a Christian, that's what it looks like. And so when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, that discipline has to be understood in this context of this is God at work. This is God at work in you. This isn't you left to your own devices to try and summon some strength up to twist heaven's arm and earn some favor with him. No, that's all been done. Jesus has done it. Amen? I say, you're listening. He's done it. And now, that same power that's done that now is at work in you to produce in you disciplines that are going to enable you to receive more and more from our Father. Not just a moment when you decide, yes, I believe. It just is how you live. And this leads to that radical transformation that Jesus talked about, that Dan was talking about last week. As we, as we pursue God and the grace and in these spiritual disciplines, in these works that we've been given, in prayer, in reading scripture, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's what we expect when we are Christians. If you're a Christian here this morning, then God is, is making use of all of his sovereign power and his endless grace and love to transform you into something glorious, into something amazing. Isn't that encouraging? You know, if you just feel like in your life you're just hitting a brick wall again and again, I tell you, when you preach on prayer and reading your Bible and fasting, it's very easy just to make people feel uncomfortable, really easy. I think all of us, if I went around this room and said, do you think you pray enough? Just be like twisting something, making you feel a bit uncomfortable. And you'd say, no, I don't, I don't think I do, actually. 
It's very easy to do that, and that's not what I want to do this morning. I want you to see that, that, no, this is God at work in you. So you might be feeling like, I've just been hitting my head on the wall in terms of my prayer life. In my, I'm just falling into the same sin. I'm in the same mess. God is making use of all of his authority, all of his grace, all of his love to transform you into something glorious. And that is encouraging. He's committed to making you glorious. Not with your own glory, but with his. You're going to look like Jesus one day. As glorious and as beautiful as he is. You're going to look like him. Son of God. So, this supernatural work comes to us in habits and in disciplines. So, we've understood the spiritual side of it. This is God-initiated. This is God-empowered. This is God-made and drafted and drawn. And it is a discipline that we are to engage with. You know, Paul, um, as he's writing to the Philippians, actually, he makes this point. You know, he says to them, work out your salvation with uh, fear and trembling. Why? Why should I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Isn't it God who's doing it all? He says, yes, you work out your salvation. You engage with what God is doing in you because it is God who is at work in you. And then he can expands it again later in the same letter. He says, Brothers, he says, no, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you see what's going on? There's a hunger that's been awakened, supernatural hunger that's been awakened in Paul that is now driving him to act and to engage with what God is doing in him. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about spiritual disciplines. How does that work? How does God's work enable us to work? Well, we've said it produces a hunger and it produces a joy in him. That is, so it's, it's not God so much driving us with a whip. It's God drawing us with an appeal to joy. You know, you see that again and again in the New Testament. Come and know me. Come and know me. I'm, you know, at my right hand are, are pleasures forevermore. Come and come sit at my right hand. That's the invitation that, that is laid out by God. It's not a come on. It's not a come on, Christians, you need to do better. It's a come on. There's better to be had. There's better things to be received. And so that is the life of a Christian, is that pressing on. I will press on to make it mine because Jesus has made me his. And so these actions to prayer, and we will get to prayer, don't worry, are, are not disciplines or habits that are trying to, where we're trying to achieve something on our own. They are... Now, they themselves are acts of faith. That same faith that saved you, you know, is required to pray or to read your Bible. It doesn't, it, I mean, it's very clear with prayer. Unless you believe that God is who he says he is, unless you believe that God has promised what he has promised, 
you're not going to pray. And the very act of praying, the very act of praying requires you to believe those things. It does, because it's dependent on it. Prayer is dependent on what God has already said he's going to do. I mean, the very act of praying is saying, God, I'm not enough on my own. I'm not enough to do these things on my own. I need you. I need you. This God-dependent faith is shown in the act of prayer. And and prayer itself is recognizing that truth that unless God builds a house, this is Psalm 127, unless God builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. You know, we can work all we want. We can do all that we can. We can employ all the resources of Jubilee and we still won't do anything worth anything unless God is doing it. Unless God is engaging with it. You know, it shapes the way I prepare for a sermon. It does. I can put loads of hours into writing notes and just reading things. But ultimately, I know that when I stand up here, if things are going to happen, it's not going to be because I've put in the time here as much as it's going to be about whether God is involved in it, whether God is going to respond to what we're doing, whether God is going to engage. If anything is happening in people's hearts now, it's not so much because of what I'm doing, although I'm engaging with the process, it's because of what God is doing. And so prayer recognizes that. Saying, I can't do that. If I stand up on my own, on this platform, nothing will be achieved. But if God's there, something will happen. And it will be far more than I can do or imagine. So as we come and look at prayer this morning, we need to understand it in the context of God's grace at work in us. Um, We don't pray to make ourselves holy. In fact, actually, this prayer um, in Matthew's gospel comes in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, you know, these these religious hypocrites, you know, they pray in this certain way and they think that doing that is going to make them holy. They think they're going to get points with God because of how they're praying. And he says, no, actually, that's not how it works. And so he gives this prayer as a simple way of praying. He says, no, look, prayer is not a way of earning points. It is, it's just engaging with your father. And so he teaches them this prayer. So we don't pr- uh, pray to make ourselves holy. But when we pray, as we've said, we are pursuing a hunger that we've got. Right? When we pray, we're responding to something that God has put in us. God, I need you. I need you. Um, John Calvin, a reformer, um, just about 500 years ago in Geneva, he, uh, he writes this about prayer. You know, he says, To know God as the sovereign disposer of all good, inviting us to present our requests, and yet to not approach it or ask of him, were so from, far from availing us that it were just as if one told of treasure were to allow it to remain buried in the ground. Right, he's saying, if you believe what Jesus says about prayer, if you believe that and you don't pray, it's like being told of buried treasure. 
There's buried treasure at your feet. And then sitting there and doing nothing about it. Doing nothing about it. And actually, he he kind of goes on to suggest that if you don't do anything about it, you don't have faith. If you, if you genuinely believe there's treasure in the ground, you're going to do something about it. If you genuinely believe what Jesus says about prayer, about how God responds to it, and how God is willing and eager to give you all that you need for Christian living, for power, for relationship, and you don't pray, I don't think you believe it. He goes on to say that on these grounds, prayer is the the chief exercise of faith. It It is the primary outworking of faith. If you believe God, if you believe God, you take him at his word, you're going to pray. And if you don't, you won't. It is faith that saves us and faith that draws us into pursuing God for all his worth and the promises that he's given us. We find as well that that just as we've spoken, prayer is spirit-empowered. Paul talks again and again about how when you pray, pray in the spirit, with the spirit, by the spirit. That's a phrase that we see again and again in the New Testament is that as we pray, the Holy Spirit, that spiritual side of the disciplines, it comes, he comes alongside us and he enables us when we don't know the words we ought to say, when we don't have the energy to pray, when we don't even know what we're meant to ask for. The Holy Spirit comes rushing in and so we can say, I pray with all the uh, strength that he mightily supplies. That's what Christian prayer looks like. It's an engaging with the Holy Spirit. And so what happens here in um, in Luke, is his, Jesus' disciples have recognized, hey, Jesus keeps disappearing off on his own. And they recognize that he's, he's a prayer. He's a praying man. Right? This is God himself praying. And so one of the disciples comes to Jesus just as he's coming back from a certain place, and says, Lord, would you, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us? That's one of the questions I would ask Jesus, actually, I think. If he, was here, if, if he was here. If he was here bodily, I think I would ask him, Lord, help me with my prayer life. And that's what the disciples are asking Jesus. They're saying, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And so he gives them this. Very, very simple. When you pray... He says, say, Father. That's first line. When you pray, say, Father. See, all prayer is God-initiated. It's not our idea. We didn't invent this. We didn't come up with it. Um, all prayer is God-initiated. And so through the, throughout the Old Testament, we see God revealing himself in various ways, saying, look, I'm... I'm a provider, and so it prompts people to pray. Lord, would you provide? I'm a healer. Lord, would you heal? I'm a deliverer. Lord, would you rescue us? But now, now we're told, I'm your father. Pray, 
Father. And it shapes the way we pray. All part of what Jesus has won for us. We recognize what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That means that all who believe in him have been given the right to be called children of God. And so we're not approaching a distant God. We're approaching a father. You know, and, this, you know, and when we pray, conscious of our status before God, it changes our outlook on things. Right? Prayer meetings are not, ought not to be miserable meetings. Right? They're not moaning out loud. Here's all my complaints, God. There's no, there's a, there's, you might have some complaints to bring. You might have some, some serious heart issues to bring. But it's all in the context of, this is my father who loves me. Who holds the reins of all things. Who has the final say in everything. And who loves me completely. And so that changes the way you pray. Changes the, way, the shape of our prayer. We're righteous before him. We're told the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. We're righteous not because of anything we've done. But because of what Jesus has done. And when we understand that. We don't come to him. Lord would you, would you please. We're unworthy as I am. No, we come with a boldness that says, Lord, you are my father. Would you? Would you come and meet me? Would you come and meet my needs? And we see that this, this sort of this recognition of our standing before God and who God is as father and sovereign Lord is essential in prayer. Actually, through the New Testament, it's one of the things that Paul picks up again and again and Peter picks it up. You know, Thanksgiving is an essential part of praying. When you pray, come with thanksgiving. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. When we thank God, when when we come with worship, it was amazing this morning, as we're crying out our thanks to God. When we do that, it sets the scene for our faith. It sets the tone for what we're going to pray for. The requests come after that. The requests come on the basis of, God, you are like this. And so we're not buttering God up when we pray thanksgiving. We are are exalting him because that's who he is and he's worthy of praise. But we're also setting our hearts in place to recognize this is the God that I'm approaching. The God who meets our needs. Speaks to us. He goes on, doesn't he? He says, you know, like, it's from there that we can say, Lord, your kingdom come. It's from understanding that God is surely going to bring his kingdom. It's from this place of knowing God as Father, recognizing his total sovereignty over all things and enjoying his goodness and marveling at his greatness that we can confidently approach him. He will establish his kingdom on earth. He's going to establish his kingdom in North Hull. He's going to establish his kingdom in Hull, in Jubilee. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. He will provide for his people. He will rush to meet our needs. He will deliver us from trials and temptation. And so understanding who he is suddenly sets us in the context of being able to pray that way. And actually praying for the kingdom of God is an essential part of being a church. It's an essential part of being a church. It makes the top of Paul's list as he's writing to Timothy. And he's talking to uh, Timothy who's in Ephesus. He says, first of all, 
First of all, Timothy, make sure that they're praying for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. That's an essential part. Pray that the kingdom would come. And then come praying for physical and spiritual needs. I could go on, but I'm not going to. Um, Would the band just come up? I want us to pray, actually. And so I'm going to hand over in just a moment. But I don't, yeah. I don't know where you're at in your prayer life at the moment. I don't know if prayer is something that is incorporated into your day. It's incorporated into your week. It might be that the only time you pray is in the context of coming together. Um, but I just, I guess what I want to show you above everything else today is the context of prayer and understanding who we're praying to and, and, and why, because that's where the power of prayer is. The power of prayer isn't so much in how much we do it or anything we say. There's no magic words to make God do a certain thing. The power of prayer isn't in the person praying. It is in the person being praised too, you know? When we understand who God is and what he's done, what he's working out in us, then it causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. It's the power of the Spirit that we're able to do that. And so, I kind of just like encourage you, if you feel like you've been in a place of, I've been trying to pray, I would just kind of challenge you, maybe you're approaching it wrong. Maybe you've not been... Maybe you've not understood it. It's not about trying to pray. It's about believing God when he says things. When he says things about himself. I'm a provider. I am a loving father. I am the Lord of all things. When you believe that, you will find yourself praying. You know, just as John Calvin says, you know, if you believe there's treasure in the ground, you're going to go for it. I just want to say that there is treasure in the ground. There is treasure in the ground. God has said, here I am, come and know me. Come and know me. We need to recognize that prayer is not simply a means to an end. It's not just making a request to God in the hope that it will be met. But it's a coming to know our Father. And we need to realize that that is enough of an end in itself. Jesus kind of finishes, and I'm going to finish as well. He finishes as he's been teaching into prayer and he's been talking about how God is faithful to respond to the prayers of all who believe. He finishes by saying this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find that people have responded to what he's laid down? Will people have sought the treasure that he's given them? Will we? (laughs) Will we? There's promises here. I'm going to end there. I'm just going to hand over to Dan as he leads us into praying. So we're going to, in a moment, we're going to respond by, we're going to, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray together. And, um, and, but for some of us, actually, yeah, you know, our faith, you feel actually, I don't, I don't have faith. I don't see the treasure or I, I feel like I've been approaching God in the wrong way. I've been approaching him not as a, that loving father. And we're going to... And so what I wanted to do is, one, I want, I want our children to pray with us. 
I love hearing the prayers of children because they teach us so much. So if you've got children in Explorers, I want you to collect them. I want you to bring them back down. I want you to do something as you do that, as you bring them back down the stairs. I just want you to talk to them, tell them that we're going to be, we're coming back down to pray. And we, I want them to join in on that. But we're actually going to sing a song of worship just to fix our eyes back on Jesus, to say, to see him as he is. Maybe it might be for you to to ask God to change your heart. Maybe it's for you as you